These are definitely critical reports for us and maintaining their accuracy is super important because we're making business decisions off of it daily. Welcome to the OpStars podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty. Hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty, and I'm joined today by Elizabeth Medlicott. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Elizabeth is the Director of Marketing Operations at Model N. Model N enables life sciences and high-tech companies to drive growth and market share, minimizing revenue leakage throughout the revenue lifecycle. Elizabeth has over a decade of experience in marketing operations, primarily in B2B software. She's previously been a manager of marketing operations at People AI, Rainforest QA, and Aptis, which was acquired by Conga. Today's episode, we're going to discuss how to build a revenue dashboard and in doing so, remove huge operational burdens on mobs by automating reports and improving the speed and ease access to critical business information. First, let's start by getting to know you better. Give us some highlights to your career and yeah. uh, maybe a little bit about your role at Model N. Awesome. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I've been doing marketing ops for a little over 10 years now. And it's kind of funny because I felt like I fell into marketing operations. Marketing operations was a newer function 10 years ago. When I first started, I was sort of a general marketing intern for EMC. And then I gravitated towards the operations function. And I think I gravitated towards it because I really enjoy problem solving and working collaboratively across functionally. As a kid, I always found myself, you know, gravitating towards video games or I was very competitive. And, and I feel like all of that translated really well into marketing operations. And even when I was in high school, back when there was MySpace, I don't know if some of the younger marketing folks listening remember MySpace, but um, you were able to code with HTML, your own backgrounds and make it customizable. So that was sort of like my first dip into what marketing operations is. And I feel like, you know, it kind of made sense that this is where my career would be headed. So from there, I was at EMC for about three years. I was able to implement um, processes such as the Serious Decisions Waterfall. Um, We were using some technology that is a little bit considered old school now, such as a Primo, which is the first marketing automation platform, I believe, that ever existed. So it was very clunky. That's where I first learned Salesforce and some other tools that are not so much around anymore, like Radiant 6, I remember for like social listening. But I really wanted to... Um, experience what it was like to have a little bit more autonomy, be able to make decisions on what tools I was able to use. And so after that, I went to a company called Inside View, which is actually now acquired by Demandbase. And we were selling into marketing operations professionals. So it was kind of fun to be able to do marketing, sort of like what you are doing too, for lean data. And so you really understand your customer and your prospects a lot better. And that's where I learned Marketo. And after working there for a couple of years, I really wanted to work for a, a larger 
marketing operations team so I can learn from peers. And so I went over to Optus and I worked under Maria Pergolino, who actually really helped bring Marketo to where it is today. She was, you know, a huge mentor for me, really helped my career. And she really valued marketing operations. And that's when I realized that I really do need to work for a leader who understands marketing operations because so much can go wrong, whether it's data feeling or even processes that are set up by people who are no longer at the company, having you know that sort of executive leadership buy into marketing operations makes such a huge difference. And that's one of the reasons why I actually joined Model N was because I had previously been working with CS2 Marketing. They're an agency that I know you're very familiar with. They've worked really closely with Lean Data. I believe they're your guys' partner. I worked with them when I was at Aptis. And they've been actually working with Model N for the last five years as well. And they spoke very highly of my current manager, Leah Allen, who's the VP of growth here at Model N. And she had done marketing operations in past lives as well. So that's what made me um, sort of move to Model N. And I like that we were, even though we were a public company and been around for 20 years, we really only formed a true marketing team probably within the last five years and had our first CMO within the last two years. So it, it almost feels like we're a startup within a public company. So there's pros and cons of both, but that's kind of how I landed to where I am today. I love how you, you made decisions based on, in part, the technology and what you're able to learn around the technologies. And once you got to a certain level of competency, you're like, I need to be in an environment that really understands the role holistically. Completely. Yep. And Um, making sure that I have the resources to, to be able to accomplish our goals. I think that's at certain companies in the past, um, I've, you know, lacked resources, whether it be headcount or budget. And I feel like where I'm at right now with Model N, even though we're still kind of small and scrappy, we do have some of the benefits of like budget since we are a little bit of a larger organization, but I do like that we have a small enough team to where we can move really quickly. I think anybody in Mops is sitting in a really good seat right now. The role has really taken off. Like the demand out there for resources who have the kind of talent you have is through the roof. Kudos to you for picking a career path that I think is on a, an amazing growth trajectory. I was um, pretty surprised myself within, especially the last like three years, where it's become such a critical component of marketing. And I always thought that even in the beginning, but now it's really been moved to the forefront. And I know that they even say, you know, the MOPS leaders right now are like the next CMOs basically in line, just because they have that visibility into what's working, what's not working, and just the structure of how to set yourself up so you can be able to track those campaigns and move the needle. Well, that's a little bit we're going to dive into today. I think your focus on the metrics reporting and understanding what's going on in the business is fundamental to your success in the role. Maybe before we jump into talking about what you have built out in terms of reporting and dashboards, provide a little bit of an overview of Model N's go-to-market or like who do you serve, just so we have a little bit of context of, you know, what are you managing on this dashboard Sure. So we primarily sell into life sciences. So pharmaceutical companies and med tech companies, and then high tech companies. And then we really, we, we do sell into our customer base pretty heavily. So we're doing a lot of cross sell and upsell, and we are looking at primarily enterprise companies. We have moved down market a little bit now that we offer business services, which um, we had an, we acquired part of Deloitte Business Services sometime last year. And so that's allowed us to go down market a little bit, but we still, uh, we do have a set defined 
target account list, and we're definitely doing ABM. So we have our set list of target accounts. We monitor those very carefully. And our pipeline that we're looking at is primarily those two verticals and those two segments of prospective customers. Very helpful. So your team's responsible for reporting on revenue metrics. That includes upsell. It's not just net new. But I think you ran into a bit of a challenge. It was taking you many hours to pull those reports together, and you realized it wasn't sustainable, and you needed to address that problem. What set you off on this this path to build build dashboards and automate these processes? Yeah. So prior to me joining, my team was actually responsible for the reporting for the entire company, not just what marketing is responsible for. So uh, we were looking at pretty much, like I was mentioning, pipeline metrics, and then also the changes that were happening week over week. So those changes could be, you know, changes in the subscription value. If there was new pipeline added, if there was any close wins, close lost, if anything was delayed, there's actually a decent amount of changes that can happen within an opportunity. And our executive leadership likes to see in detail those changes week over week. The issue that we were having is we did not have a BI tool in place. Even though we have been around for 20 years, we we still are, you know, like I mentioned before, operating almost like a startup. Um, we've, we've had a couple of different versions of Tableau before I joined, but it hasn't really been adopted entirely by the entire organization. Even now, what I'm doing, and I can explain a little bit more detail, I'm still pulling data from Tableau and then putting it into PowerPoint because Part of what my initiative is, is to grow the use of Tableau. And right now we're starting with just the marketing team and then having our CMO eventually try to get the rest of the executive leadership team on board with it. So it is sort of, you know, an iterative process and it it does take some time to get everybody to use the same tools. With that being said, though, the challenges that I was seeing was And if you're not taking snapshots of data week over week to compare them and someone is pulling them in real time, if they're pulling them at a different time of the day, you could lose some of that visibility into some of those changes. So if you look at the total amount and what those changes are, and those basically the changes can slip through the cracks. So I was noticing that there was discrepancies on those reports. So for example, if maybe you looked at the total subscription of last week compared to this week, and there was maybe a change that was, you know, an increase of subscription value for $100,000 and a closed loss for $100,000, but it happened with that, like with past the window that you were looking at, it wouldn't be captured in those changes. So the first thing that I put in place was I worked with CS2. We implemented Salesforce snapshotting. We were doing the reporting within Salesforce. This was pre-us purchasing Tableau. And the issue with that is since we are a global company and we do have opportunities in other currencies, looking at that snapshot data, you can't do conversions. And so if there was any changes with the, the dollar amounts, I would have to go in and actually calculate those manually. And so it still wasn't a scalable solution. And we have, you know, sometimes there can be many changes that happen within a week, as I'm sure you're aware too. And so being able to capture those and not have to do those manually was sort of the goal that we were trying to achieve with this. And then once we realized that you couldn't do the conversions and then that was taking me, you know, X amount of time each week, um, we decided that we wanted to go with a BI tool. 
And so now with the BI tool, we're able to import those conversion tables and pretty much all of the changes that I'm seeing week over week, they're all automated within Tableau. So I'm no longer having to manually pull that data, which is huge. And you had, you had to start with understanding what is the data you need to look at and what you needed to, to track. Did you even uncover as you were assessing that things that maybe weren't weren't being looked at? Oh, definitely. One of the things that we were noticing too is like every once in a while, maybe like a rep would make a mistake and first tag an opportunity as a prospect opportunity, but it was supposed to be a customer opportunity. And that field wasn't even being tracked in Salesforce. So I couldn't even see those changes being happening prior to us getting Tableau and snapshotting the actual table for opportunities. So there was little things like that that were happening. There's, I've noticed a bunch of different other types of changes that can occur that we weren't accounting for. So for example, we look at a rolling 365 close date. One of the changes that could happen is just because it's not a change to an opportunity, it can now be in within that time frame. So just because it has the close date that's now within that time frame, and that was not a change that they were tracking prior to me joining. So it's definitely an iterative process. And what I like to do is each week when I notice these changes, make note of it, then have sort of like this, you know, scale, like basically I will do an iteration of it each week to try to improve it. So it's definitely not like one and done. It's something that evolves over time. And even now we, with our, we actually just recently had a new CMO join. He was with Model N previously as our CSO, but now he's taking on both our CMO role and CSO role. He wants to see things a little bit differently. So it's constantly making those updates and tweaking to make sure that we're looking at, you know, exactly what the executive leadership team wants us to look at, and then also making recommendations. Excellent. So give our listeners a sense of like, what kind of timeframes are we talking about here? Did it take you a week? Did it take you months? Yeah. So I would say the first piece of it was really just understanding what the gaps were with the reporting so that I could bring a business case to my manager and then also to our executive leadership team so that they had buy-in because it's still, even though actually Tableau is fairly reasonably priced, it still is a large chunk of resources to be able to implement it. So that was sort of the first step. And I think that took at least a month, and then also signing the contracts with the new vendors for Tableau, depending on your legal team and all of your processes with that, that can also take a chunk of time. So taking that into consideration, that's like a month-long process for us in itself. And then I would say from actually building like the V1 view in Tableau and the snapshotting and all of that, that probably took another month. And then auditing that data was probably, I would say, a couple weeks thereafter. So I would say that this is a minimum, depending on what your requirements are, a quarter-long project. And then from there to continue to make iterations, I mean, we launched this back in, I want to say like June or July, and we're still making changes just because there's things that you can constantly you know, tweak or one of the challenges to that we're still seeing is since we take a snapshot of the entire opportunity table and we're making these filters and like data conversions within Tableau, if for some reason sales changes what their filter criteria is, and we don't know, our numbers will be off. So one thing that we've also tried to do is make it very clear to our sales ops and sales teams that we need to be using scalable filters. So an example is previously we were filtering based on account owner name. 
And that's not a scalable solution because people can leave or maybe they change teams. So now we've made sure that they all roll up into a team. So that way our reports are reflecting the same data. And then I also have a once a week check-in with them just to make sure there's no other changes that have been made. Perfect. Who's the audience for the dashboard or at least the dashboard content? I know you mentioned earlier that you might have to pull some of the reports into PowerPoint for presentation purposes, which makes perfect sense. But who who's looking at? This is going up to the CEO and the rest of our executive leadership team, as well as we do share it sometimes with sales and sometimes with our board team too. So these are definitely critical reports for us and maintaining their accuracy is super important because we're making business decisions off of it daily. So now that you've got these dashboards up and running, what have been some of the benefits or results after going live? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm finding sometimes just on my own personal, like for what's great for me is like, I'm finding sometimes where there's issues with the, how the opportunities are being tagged. So for example, I'll notice, like I was saying before, maybe there's a customer account, but the rep flagged it as a prospect opportunity. So we're able to flag things like data and consistencies a lot easier. We're also able to make sure that we have an eye on the pipeline. So if something's sitting in open for X amount of time, we can, we're able to flag that. We also have, you know, real-time insights of when things are close losing or close winning and how we're doing to our goals so that we have, you know, we're basically understanding what's happening in almost real time. And you can even set these dashboards up to where you're snapshotting on a daily basis. So it's really up to the business need. Um, of course, that does require a larger data, like larger data storage, but it depends on what you're looking for. For us right now, we're, we know that our executive leadership team is looking at it daily. We also have real-time reports in Salesforce um, looking at some of these metrics, but with these changes, we feel like it's better to look at it on a weekly basis instead of on a daily basis. And now you're no longer the one having to go in and look through all that data, spending all the time to look for the problems. <laughs> so that has to be pretty huge. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely been a huge time saver. And also one of the biggest things that I want to point out too is the human error aspect is reduced significantly. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's, you know, I try to do my best with double checking everything, but we, at the end of the day, we are humans. There's more room for error than if you're letting a computer (laughs) calculate some of those stuff. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier working with CS2. Maybe tell us about how you work with vendors. I know you're a small team to help you with your projects or even with, you know, with this project or other projects. Yeah. So I've been working with them for about five years and I've done all different types of projects with them, whether it be simple things like campaign execution work, if we don't have the bandwidth or if somebody leaves to managing large projects that sometimes even span multiple quarters. What I primarily use CS2 or work with CS2 on now are some of those meteor projects. And that's just because they have such a great team that have experience in all different areas. So you're almost like exponentially increasing, you know, the brain power on your project because they have, you know, I think they have like 10 or 12 people now on their team. And one of the people that I work really closely on their team now is Allison, and she's amazing. She actually manages the Salesforce user group in Portland 
So she not only has a really strong marketing ops background, but she also has a really strong sales ops background. And I know from previous companies I've worked with that depending on the size of your company, marketing operations may or may not have admin access, but a lot to Salesforce. So for example, especially with public companies, marketing operations typically doesn't have admin access. I've had it in the past. I actually don't mind not having it. Sometimes it's nice, but it is good sometimes to be all under one umbrella So what we do is we actually have a marketing sandbox for Salesforce and a lot of the code, like Apex code, any of the flows and triggers, um, we'll have Allison write them for us in our sandbox. And then what I do is I just send it to my sales ops team as a change set and they'll push it live. And the turnaround time is super fast, especially because we are really nimble team. We need to move fast. We have, we're even though we've you know been around, like I said, for 20 years, we've really done only true marketing within the last five years. So there's a lot of things that we're putting into place that probably should have been put in place previously, and we want to do it quickly. And so our, our sales ops team is amazing. I love our team. Shout out to Melissa. She, she moves really quickly and is always there to help me. But it also is nice to have that resource to where it's sort of splitting the division of work. And that way I get it rolled out faster. So that's, those are some of the bigger things that I have CS2 work on, especially since I don't personally write Apex code and I'm not as strong on that side, that it's nice to have a resource on the marketing side to help me with that. Uh, I think a lot of folks benefit from those insights around how to lean on vendors, especially as resources are scarce and being able to find that expertise is not easy to have on your team. And to look at it from like a marketing operations standpoint too. And to be able to also just like vet that the flows are working the way that we want them to. So they do like a lot of auditing for us. Um, They'll double check that it's set up correctly. Um, Not saying that, you know, our sales ops team won't, but sometimes they won't catch things the way that if a marketing operations person was looking at it. So it's super, super helpful. And I mean, I even joke now that I won't go work for another company if I don't have the resources to have CS2 join me. Uh, do they also just help you with your overall like strategy, prioritization, or advice? Do you lean on them in that regard as well? I do. So, like, what I what we usually do is we we kind of come up with projects together, and so I mean, sometimes they'll come from the top. Like, for example. We were marketing to EMEA previously, but not super heavily. So we're doing sort of a revamp of our GDPR plan. Of course, that's kind of coming from just like the overall need from the marketing and the organization. So that's an example of where I would come to them with a project and then we would split it out. And then other like use cases of where we kind of come up with the strategy together is we'll see a gap in maybe something that we're doing within marketing. So for example, we are right now trying to implement Sifrock where it looks at the auto replies. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll go to them and ask them, hey, what are your other customers or clients using? What have you found to be successful? And get their feedback. And sometimes they'll even help me with doing some of the um, vendor analysis. And then we'll review it together too, just because they're working with so many clients who've gone through this process already. So I don't have to necessarily do as much digging. I can just say, Hey, what are like the top three products that you're seeing within your clients so that I can kind of take their learnings and not have to duplicate the effort. That makes a lot of sense. I always say a lot of the challenges or problems that we have, someone's already solved it somewhere. So this is part of why I love having this podcast because you've 
you know, already been through journeys and others can learn. Um, but having that bench and those experts is, I think, uh, critical with how quickly things are moving these days. I know you, you mentioned you're just sort of building a lot of the things that maybe should have been in place, but you know, I have a feeling if you weren't building them from scratch, you'd probably be rebuilding them. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's kind of funny because we, I think we had lean data as an example in place a while back. And then we have a small BDR team. And so I think internally in marketing, they didn't see the need for it necessarily. And so I, you know, I was bummed when I joined where I was like, oh man, like just because you have a small BDR team doesn't mean you don't need a tool like lean data. So what I did was to prove, you know, that this was a valuable tool. I rebuilt all of the routing within Marketo, partially Marketo and Salesforce. And then I just basically documented how long it would take me every time I had to make a change or update to that routing. And also what the opportunity cost was if a lead or a contact was routed to the wrong BDR. So even though we have, you know, like a small BDR SDR team, that opportunity cost from routing the wrong contacts just because we had changes internally or there was certain updates that we would have to make within because we were doing like our own fuzzy matching that would take so long. So once I showed them that value, I was able to purchase lean data again. So, well, thank you. I did not, I did not, uh, we did not set this up. I didn't pay her to say that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, it sounds like every project as you go into it, you mentioned that around the, the dashboard project as well as you created the business case, you made sure that, you know, your leadership team would understand the impact of, you know, implementing the capabilities, because as you said, it's not really about the cost of the software per se. It is a journey to get it set up, make the process changes, drive adoption. I mean, that's the bigger, bigger challenge. So getting everybody on board and agreeing. We'll have to loop back with you too on, on how you do on getting the dashboards to be the source that folks go and look at. I know that's not easy. I worked at Cisco prior to Lean Data and we put a lot of the analytical models together. And we too always had to kind of pull and package it for folks. And I mean, I get it. They're super busy. They just want, you know, executives just want to know what they need to know. But it was always our dream to be like, oh, if we could just get out of PowerPoint. We're getting there. And I know like our current CMO too is more on board with it. And I think even like what I was giving that example is if there's those changes within Salesforce and they're not communicated, there's, you're definitely losing, you know, opportunities to make sure that everybody's looking at the same type of report. And so I, I think the more I can prove that out and the value of it, the more people will be on board to be all in one single place. <laughs> you can do it. I'm rooting for you. Get <laughs> Thank there. you. <laughs> so I have a couple of questions in closing. What advice would you give to someone who's just about to start on an operations role? Yeah, so that's a great question. There's a ton of resources out there. I would say first, like probably, I think Marketo still has a bunch of free resources. I would try to also probably reach out to some marketing operations folks. I would, you know, there's tons like these, these podcasts too. do your research and see like, is this a role that you would really want to get into? I know Salesforce also has like trailblazer. I think that's also a really good start because even though sales um, force is typically owned by sales ops, I live and breathe within Salesforce and Salesforce is 
I mean, the majority of tech companies, if you want to work in tech, at least for marketing operations are on Salesforce. So that's also like a good foot in the door too, is if you already have that background and you can, I think even get certified. I think there's like a minimal cost for the admin certification. And I know like, even with like lean data, there's certifications that you can do, but I think you do have to be a customer if if I'm correct, but just looking into, you know, any resource that you can find as it relates to tech stack and then trying to also meet and maybe like have, you know, create a mentorship, you know, program with, with somebody who's in this field and actually like shadow them and see if this is like what you would want to do. No, that's great advice. And I know you're, you're, outlining ways you can sort of build the the technical capabilities. But what I also observe in folks like you have had really great career successes in this role is you do have to be a problem solver. You have to be able to handle a lot of different kinds of tasks. Just be a constant learner. Oh, no. I mean, it's evolved so much. And and I think Charlie actually from CS2 has mentioned this before. Like he, I think they created a list of all of the things like marketing operations like managers or directors are supposed to know and be experts at, and it's, it's impossible. So it's like, you're constantly learning. And I think that's why I, you know, I know my weak spots and I get help, you know, I utilize like CS2 or other members of my team to help me with those areas, but I'm, I'm constantly learning. And I think that's also one of the reasons why I love this field is because it's always evolving. Yeah. So like one of the tools that I'm currently implementing that I've never used before is full circle. And I'm super excited for it because I've never been able to do conversion metrics within Salesforce. It's always had to be like within a BI tool. And so it's nice because while we're still not completely on the BI tool and we do have sales looking in Salesforce, we can still show them that data easily too. So, so there's, it's never ending. I love it. And I'm excited to see where marketing operations is going to be in the next 10 years. Yeah, me too. I'm going to have to find Charlie's list and put it in the show notes. And final question, who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch? Yeah. So I thought about this because we talked about this before and I really would love to like have a conversation with uh, Daryl Alfonso from AWS. I love his content that he posts. Some of it's really hilarious and hits really hard at home with some of the things in the, the commiseries of marketing operations. But I also like, I've heard him speak on a couple podcasts and just, I'm so interested on how to scale a team to that size. I, the largest team of marketing operations that I worked on or worked with in-house has been about five. And I know that they have I mean, I think that they have like over a hundred marketing operations and they have their own internal certification program for Marketo. So I would love to pick his brain. Excellent. Well, thank you. And thanks for sharing today. That was terrific. It was great having you on. Yeah, thank you so much. The Upstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing sales and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.